Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, we are coming at you with a little miracle. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of little miracles, I, how you, you know, doing, Sam? I was gonna, I was gonna do that too. <laughs> so I'm glad you did. I think it's less cheesy if you do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm good, man. This is the first episode that we have recorded um, where I'm a dad. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Um, uh, we we talked extensively. Uh, the other day. So we were supposed to record this episode the other day, but we had to push back because you hadn't had a chance to rewatch it yet. No, yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, but we still jumped on the phone uh, and talked for uh, my new podcast. I'll be coming sometime in August. So yeah, little shameless plug there. Uh, new podcast. It's all about uh, fatherhood through the lens of time travel nerdery. It's going to be called dad to the future. Yes. See what I did there. Uh, so some episodes are going to be standalone, just me talking, and the other episodes are going to be conversations with dads. Uh, so I just thought it would be really neat to get you when you're uh, you were just like what, like five, six days into yeah, that, but when into we talked fatherhood, six days or well, she's she um, she's a week old. She was a week old yesterday. So yeah, all right, yeah, fantastic, yeah, man. It's uh, it's it's a crazy time. I was just telling you though, today kind of feels like the first sort of regular day as much as it can be anyway you know it doesn't it doesn't feel quite as crazy or all-consuming like jessica and i have started doing some stuff you know around the house and 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 we're not just sort of like you know in our little newborn baby bubble um you know we're starting to kind of be able to see outside of that a little bit and um i mean the baby's great she's she's wonderful um so yeah, things are things are things are going great, man. I in spite of only achieving about four hours of sleep per night the past couple of nights, I feel great. So I'm sure, just yeah. ride that wave as long as it lasts. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Well let's dive into the episode here. Yeah, absolutely. Um all right. So we have A Little Miracle, which um aired December the twenty first, nineteen ninety. Our leap date is December 24th, 1962, directed by Michael W. Watkins and written by Sandy Fries. Um, that was the teleplay. We do have um, a story by Sandy Fries, or actually, excuse me, story by Sandy Fries, teleplay by Sandy Fries and Robert Wolsterarf. Um, mm-hmm. And Sam has leapt into, um, oh, what's the full name here? I had it in front of Reginald Pearson. Um, and he is in New York City. Absolutely. TV Guide description. On Christmas Eve, Sam, Scott Bakula, jingles into the valet of a Scrooge-like <laughs> man who plans to demolish a mission to build a shopping plaza. Well, all right. Yeah. Jingles sure. his way. Jingles his way. So I want to... Speak, speaking of jingles, go ahead. Speaking oh. of jingles. Ha! <laughs> Your segue. Let's address the sleep in. Is, is this what you were going to say? No, actually, your segue is much better than mine was. Let's okay. let's let's do. Let's address the leap in. Uh, as someone commented, because when I put this out on our on our Facebook page to to chime in, someone commented, "This may be the most awkward leap in Sam has had." Yeah, 
it's it's definitely up there, and it makes you wonder if you were presented with such a situation. Uh, just for clarification's sake, um, he leaps in and he's crouched down in front of a naked man, um, and holding up a pair of underwear. Yeah, holding yeah. up a pair of underwear. Some, some silk boxers, it looks like. Um, the circuits, you know, that your mind would make, the laps that your mind would race, trying to figure out what the situation is in, in those opening moments would have to be pretty interesting uh, trajectory. <laughs> I, I would say I I would be tempted to, to, to fling myself back. Yeah. Yeah. Away. Away from there. Now, I'd say I'm... Uh, you know, I'm I'm very comfortable with my sexuality. I've done plenty of shows where I have, uh, where I have made out with other men mm-hmm. on stage. So it, it's not that thing, but it's just yeah, being taken by surprise and just having someone else's genitals right in your face. Yeah, in my opinion, it has absolutely nothing to do with sexuality and more to do with just the unexpectedness of it. You do know what I mean? Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. to be presented with that just in front of your face, and you're not expecting it, regardless of of, of your persuasion, if you will. I mean, it, 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 to me, that in itself, the shock factor of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a fairly intense uh, uh, leap in, and and I feel like it's played really well because while there is a certain comedic element to it, there is a a, a very large amount of uncomfortability, um, y- you know, and not. In, in, in not in an insensitive way, I feel like that's the other thing that's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't feel like it's insensitive at all. No, not certainly not in any kind of homophobic way. Right. Um, so yeah, it's been a while since you. I mean, yeah, we, we always said that. Yeah, it's uh, he's holding this the underwear out for uh, who we're going to find to be later on after the the opening credits is Michael Blake, indeed, uh, is, uh, his boss. And my second thought in this is how. Um, power hungry? <laughs> do you do you have to be to have another person assist you in putting on your underwear? Yeah, I mean, because obviously, like, help getting dressed. Sure. Well, I think it. T- I could see that happening, but putting on your own underwear—that's a certain degree of. Yeah, I agree. I, one of the things that sort of just popped into my head is I do think it tells us a lot about his character in so much as he's very, um, there, there are aspects of him that are extremely childlike and the idea that, you know, and, and I'm saying this filtered through the eyes of being a new parent and I've changed probably somewhere in the realm of like 30 diapers in the past few days, uh, if not sure. more, but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, obviously like putting on someone's undergarments is, 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 is something that, you know, a parent or a caretaker does in general for a child. And when you think about how selfish Michael is, how he wants everything, he has to have it all. He has to, you know, his reactions to a lot of situations, he, he throws temper tantrums. He's sure you know, there's, there's something about his character that feels very mature. And so I don't know if this was intentional or not, or if I'm just reading too much into it, but it is kind of interesting to think of it in terms of, um, you know, he's, he's a man baby and, and has to have somebody put on his underwear. (laughs) Mm, That's a really good point. And it's also, and and I've experienced this only a handful of times as a massage therapist where, uh, like people will start undressing in front of me, like while I am in the room doing that initial consultation Mm -hmm. or I'll come in and they're not entirely underneath the blanket and sheet. Sometimes I feel like 
uh, and we could go down a whole rabbit hole that I don't <laughs> feel like going down. But sometimes I feel like exposing yourself is a little bit of a power play. Oh, sure. Without a doubt. And it's a little bit of, of, of showing your, yes, of showing your dominance. So I wonder if that is also, that's also part of it as well. So beyond that, let's go ahead and dive through opening credits, and when we come back... Yeah, you know, actually, uh, I wanted to... What, what I was going to say just a second ago, and I, I think it's just worth sure. touching on, and we don't have to belabor it, uh, but I, I've always been such a, a mark and so fascinated with uh, Christmas episodes for, for television programs, and because Quantum Leap only really gets two, um, I, I think it's kind of worth taking the opportunity with this one to just sort of note that. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, it's by no means anything new. Uh, uh, going back to you know, the origins of television, um, there were always holiday-themed episodes of, of even some of the earliest television programs and, and sitcoms and dramas. Uh, and I've just always had a fondness for them, so much so that every holiday season I always try to watch as many you know, Christmas-themed episodes of TV shows as I can. Um, I think probably the the best example right now is that you know Jess and I we love I mean have have loved The Office since it you know was originally airing and their Christmas episodes tend to be of a very high quality uh, so uh, yeah it was I don't know it was fun to you know here we are in the midst of July to to kick back and watch a, a Christmas themed episode uh, of a show that obviously we love dearly and yeah. um, I think that. Uh, you know, when you when you hold this episode up against like Christmas themed episodes of, of other television shows, uh, it, it's it's quite it's quite strong. So I am looking forward to, to talking about it a little bit. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I love Christmas. I love Christmas themed TV. So this will yeah, be fun. That, I, 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 that's <laughs> awesome. I'm trying to think if there's any particular Christmas theme besides this one. Any particular like Christmas themed episodes of other TV shows that stick in my memory. Yeah, I, and not really. I mean, yeah, the, the Thanksgiving episode of Bewitched sticks <laughs> in my memory because <laughs> they go back in time to the Pilgrim days. Oh my gosh! And, and Darren is almost uh, burned at the stake because I, I can't remember what exactly it was. It's been years, but for like a few years when I was a child, like that was almost like a, a Thanksgiving morning tradition. Wow! Of, of that episode being on. Anyway, you were saying. Oh, I was I was going to say that, uh, you know, the Twilight Zone has an episode, actually, that I really like. Um, How I Met Your Mother has a couple of really good Christmas episodes. Oh, um, yeah. You know, there there I think that there are some some sitcoms in particular. Frasier has a couple of really good ones. The thing I love about Frasier is that there's one, I believe, where it's like his son is being raised Jewish but of course, the cranes are are not, and so they are celebrating Christmas. And it's such a, it's just kind of a fascinating episode trying to get uh, his son into into Christmas. Um, Friends has some great ones as well. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just like I said I'm I'm a big fan, and uh, this is uh, this is certainly um, I think a worthy addition to the pantheon um, of fine um, Christmas themed episodes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would argue that there's almost th- there's three Christmas episodes. Uh, okay. There's this one, there the, the more obvious one from the last season that you're probably thinking of, uh, where he leaps back into his hometown during the bank robbery. Yeah, setup, yeah, 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 absolutely. You're thinking of. Um, uh, I, I do believe it's uh, fourth season. It's a wonderful leap. Yes, actually, with, that's the one I was thinking of. 
Oh, you're thinking of that one. Okay. Because that one does, I don't think it takes place around Christmas, but it has a very, it's a wonderful life. Right. Theme. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. But then there's also the one from the last season where he leaps into his hometown around Christmas time and he leaps into the bank robbery. Yeah. And he gets to see his situation. Dad, yeah. 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 So those. But anyway, let's dive into this yeah, one man. here. Let's do it. Here we go. Uh, so, yeah, we come in. And like I said, um, I, I think I was saying this off mic before we started recording. Uh, we get the establishing shot of, of 30 Rockefeller Place in, in New York City. And we we come back to this establishing shot a few times throughout the episode. I don't think they really made any effort at all to make this look period. I really think this was just a, a, a present day establishing shot yeah. of the outside of the building. Uh, and that's perfectly okay. I mean, what were they going to do? I mean, uh, you know, short of unable being able to find any stock footage of uh, right of 30 rock in the early 1960s. Well, because we do, you know, we also get a couple of moments where they're in the car and you see, uh, more modern automobiles, sure. You know, a a period appropriate automobile like for 1962. Yeah, for sure. But Hey, you know, it's a TV show. You're doing it on the fly. What are you going to do? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so in the end, this first scene, um, uh, Sam has a line about, you know, quantum leaping through time, you know, he considers himself some one of a servant and here he, he is a servant of a much different kind. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's um he this is one of those leaps where I feel like Sam doesn't have to try too hard or do too much to to kind of fit in, which I, again tells us I think a little bit more about Michael than it does anything else because it's like he doesn't even really notice or care that his servant is acting different or strange or, you know what I mean? I have a feeling, yeah, Pearson probably trips over himself right. a whole lot anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Reginald Pearson, let's talk about the mirror image here. Oh, yes. Here. Uh, played by Milan Nitzik, I believe. Uh, and Matt Dale, like he, uh, he has a little section in his book talking about how um, the actor got the audition notice and he got cast very quickly. Mm. Uh, so, like within within a week, he had gone from learning about the opportunity, auditioning, and shooting his role. Wow! In the in the episode, and let's talk about. And I think the last time we talked about this was season two. Uh, maybe baby. Let's talk about how Sam has a little bit of the tendency to fat shame his <laughs> leapies. Just a bit. Uh, yeah, he even calls it out that because uh, Al shows up here in just a moment uh, that he has leaped into a two hundred pound valet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ah, <sighs> uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, the mm-hmm. thing is, is I mean, th- I think that there was a certain. Uh, I mean, it probably still exists, but in a different way now. I, 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 I think that we are a little bit more of a more sympathetic and, and compassionate society than we maybe even give ourselves credit for, even if it is sometimes done in in, in you know terms of virtue signaling as opposed to being superbly genuine, if you will, and altruistic. Sure. Um, but you know, it, it was no different from we were talking about homophobic jokes. You know, earlier, and, and while this episode certainly doesn't have that, in spite of the, the, the you know, Sam leaping in on his knees in front of a naked man, um, 
that that obviously humor about overweight people um, was not always handled very gracefully or sensitively, and uh, even even our hero would indeed mm-hmm. uh, yeah fat shame the person that he's leapt into a little bit of that, and you know even that that still happens a bit today. Uh, I seen an article bouncing around on on social media this last week, like uh, fifty or fifty one ways to make life easier for your fat friends. Oh God! Um, and, and and one of them is. You know, to, to call out entertainment when uh, when entertainment uses someone being overweight as kind of shorthand to uh, to say how how much of an undesirable person mm. that they are, and they even call out uh, J.K. Rowling of the of the Harry Potter series that that she was actually fairly guilty of that. Sure, with the Dursleys. Yeah, 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 throughout throughout uh, throughout that series. As well, that I mean, that is that is true. That 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 is certainly true. It is it is usually like you say, kind of shorthand for that very purpose. Um, yeah. Speaking of yes, yeah. Speaking of the Harry Potter series, I uh, I was I'm late to the party. I was flying through the books in the year leading up to Harrison being born, and then after he was born, I I stopped pretty hard, and I'm just now. <laughs> getting back into it. So I'm picking back up the the second to last book, The Half Blood Prince. Oh, nice. Yeah, so now, uh, hopefully, in the next month or so, I'll, I will finally finish the series. Yeah, man, no, it's 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 worth it. I have, I I I have a couple of issues maybe with the last book, but they're 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 fairly small and nitpicky things overall. I I'm, I'm a huge fan of the series, and I've read most of the books more than more than once, uh, more than twice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, that franchise is fascinating to me, and not to get too far off topic, just because I feel like. The, the first few films did a fairly good job of adapting the books, but as the books got larger, the films failed horribly. And I, mm. feel, like the, I feel like the fourth, fifth, and sixth movie, and I can't speak to the last one because I still haven't seen it, were terrible. Just terrible. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, adaptation. But anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, that, that particular aspect, it's fascinating, too, because it's not something that any of the other characters touch upon. Within the episode, as far as mm-hmm. as Pearson's weight, it's only something sure. that Sam mentions. <laughs> yeah, and he's not even that big. No, no, he's really. Not. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, so uh, Al shows up at this point uh, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yes, uh, and so I, I can't remember. Like Al makes a little bit of jo- a bit of a joke about Sam's appearance, and and and. Sam shoots back. Well, you look like a waiter for Trader Vic. Yeah, <laughs> with the Hawaiian shirt. I meant I, I'm not. Even, I'm not familiar with Trader Vic. What is that? Uh, it, it, it was like a, a bar slash restaurant, if I'm not mistaken. It's mentioned actually in the um, uh, uh, Werewolves of London song by Warren Zevon. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, it's got a, but it's like a uh, like a Hawaiian theme sort of, you know, restaurant bar. Got it. Okay. Yeah, have a good time, kind of place. Um, Got it. Because I was thinking, kind of like uh, Trader Joe's, yeah. which is kind of a kind of a somewhat. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Or uh, Trader uh, Trader Todd's in Chicago. Right. If you've ever been, if you've ever been there. <laughs> no, this this place reminds me more of the Tiki Bar. You know the Tiki Bar uh, that's down um, three dots and a dash. It's down mm-hmm. in North uh, River North. Oh man, you should check it out sometime. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, I'll go check it out. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, Al's dressed in a Hawaiian shirt because it is July. Yeah, he's at. and it just now occurred to me the irony, right? That it's it's July and we're recording in July right here. Crazy. We're not wearing Hawaiian so, shirts though. 
Yeah. So I have to ask here. I hear a baby cry. Is that my baby or your baby? That would be. I your think it's baby. ours. Yeah, <laughs> it's our baby. He's just waking up from his nap. All right, uh, Betsy's here to to help out. So anyway, um, so yeah, Sam has leaped into one Reginald Pearson. Um, his boss is Michael Blake, and we're also interested uh, introduced to another character in the scene, Mister Calloway. Yeah, the Yes Man. Oh man, and and here's something that I just think is worth noting off the right off the bat. I feel like everyone in this episode like came. They showed up to work. Like everyone does a really good job, and, and in particular mm-hmm. Charles Rocket. Like I think that he is is fantastic in the episode. Um, and uh, but yeah, man, Calloway is just something else. Like he's one of those people that you're kind of fascinated with. You kind of want to punch in the face, but at the same time, you you sort of feel sorry for, but. It's hard for to sure. feel too sorry for him. <laughs> for sure. I mean, because it, it's, it's this fascinating thing of, uh, yeah, anytime he gets too far uh, out of place, I, I, I don't like using that phrase, but anytime he comes like too far out of place, like Blake like automatically undercuts him and takes him down a notch. Yeah, right. Uh, like there's even this moment, and I think it's the scene coming up here, where Blake sends Sam out for his newspaper in the foyer, and him and Callaway have this brief little exchange where Callaway suggests firing him and Blake is immediately on that. Like you're suggesting that we fire him. Yeah. Like this, like Blake can be an ass, but he's not so much of an ass that, you know, he would think about firing his, his trusted valet on Christmas Eve. Right. Well, because Pearson's worked for him for a while, right? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. information that we learn at some point that, he, that, that, that Pearson's been with him for a while. For, yeah, for at least a couple of years. So yeah, yeah. so so you do yeah. kind of get the sense that even if there's not necessary, even if it's not necessarily loyalty, that there's something, maybe comfortability, you know, reliance. That idea that you can sure. you, know, you can kind of pretty much loathe somebody, but if they are doing a service for you, you're going to, you know, keep them around. I guess. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, I just wanted to mention Tom McTeague is the name of the actor who plays Callaway. Um, sure. And and I am ashamed to admit that I think one of the other places that I recognized him from was Baywatch. Um, I believe okay. he was in like the first season of Baywatch. Um, I don't really recall too much about his character, uh, but I'm reading on IMDb. It was Harvey Miller. But yeah, he was in like the whole first season. Uh, so. Oh wow. Uh, um, for whatever. So yeah, and also we in this uh, in this first scene we we get we get some dialogue that is inadvertently timely in a yes. really sad way. But talking about uh, Cruise Chef coming to Disneyland and, and Blake makes a crack. Why don't we just invite him to the Pentagon and let him go through the files? Um, actually, uh, Larry Ganey, our previous guest from Once Robe Over the Line, he actually sent me a message on Facebook earlier today, which I haven't had a chance to respond to today. Just yeah. just calling that line out. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. We've never, we've, we've, we, I mean, we don't want to get too deep, but we've never shied away from voicing some of our opinions. Uh, so I, in the interest of doing our whole context bit, um, I think that when you look at the episode uh, being set in 1962, obviously the, the world, you know, was sort of um, on the precipice uh, of, of disaster um, um, more than once. In, in in the years leading up to that, and and things would kind of start to, you know, warm up a little bit, if you will, during the Cold War uh, before getting colder. 
again. Uh, but then by the time the episode aired, um, you know, things had changed uh, qu- quite a bit. I mean, things things were mm-hmm. still um, not perfect, obviously, um, but but they were probably the best that they had been up until that point. Uh, I, sure. I would argue, and I think other people with more knowledge than I would probably support this, that that things got even better, you know, in the following five or six years into like the mid to late nineties. Um, and then of course they started to not get better. Um, and, uh, and and now here we are today when we, when we look at this episode in today's context and, uh, it's interesting to think about how roles have shifted because in the context of like Calloway's comments about the doves in Washington, basically speaking about like the liberals and the Democrats and Kennedy and, you know, in the white house, um, being the ones that would kind of offer up whatever they might want in order to keep the peace. Um, and then flipping that to today when the, you know, the liberals, the Democrats are the ones saying, you you know, what are you doing? You, You know, you're, you're, you're a Russian agent. You're, you're playing into, their their hands completely and you know they're not even getting so much as a slap on the hand for uh some of the horrible things that they've done uh and mm-hmm. so it's just interesting to look at things kind of in that context and how the episode speaks to us today and i guess what we can really learn from looking at the history um that is often presented in quantum leap and and, and you know not only was that true 27 years ago uh, when this episode was airing, but it's, it's, it's also true, you know, watching it, watching it today. And I think that, you know, it's kind of one of the things about the show that makes it a little bit timeless. Um, no pun intended, uh, as that show apparently has finally gotten the ax for real. Um, yeah. but, uh, but it, it really, by not setting it necessarily in a specific time period and having, you know, the time travel aspect, a lot of these situations do certainly have a bit more of a, a timeless quality to them than I think they would have, um, if, you know, if we had, if, if, if we had seen more of the project, for instance, you know, if more things had taken mm-hmm. place during the present, I think that might strip some of that away. Whereas because all we oh, have seen are Sam's yeah. leaps, it, 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 it changes that up a bit. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Russians. Yeah. But anyway, the Russians, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, to not get too political here. Anyway, uh, but then, uh, this is where we're introduced. Uh, Bert from downstairs rings through, and uh, the Salvation Army is downstairs with Captain Downey from the Fourth Street Mission. That's right. Uh, sh- she wants to come up and talk to talk to Mister Blake. Yeah. Um, and which is funny that you say that because uh, that you that you identified her as a she, which she is, uh, but because. Because it's a little bit of a joke. Yeah, here. like yeah. none of the characters when they you know when they think Captain Downey, they're expecting a man, and I just think it's kind of a nice little, it's a nice little piece of uh, fun, you know, on, on on them not expecting a woman. Um, and Melinda McGraw is the actor that that, that plays uh, Downey, and she is uh, all over the place, done done just a lot of stuff, and and uh, she was on Mad Men recently. She had a run on The West Wing. Um, Desperate Housewives. So I mean, she's she's still around, working, working her butt off from the looks of it, and uh, for sure, yeah, yeah. yeah she. Uh, so we put a thing out on our Twitter saying that we're recording our episode the other day. One of our Twitter followers, uh, Larry Trujillo. I apologize, Larry, if I'm butchering that name. Uh, he actually had an autographed uh, photo of her, 
Uh, so he, uh, so yeah, he mentioned that and he tagged her as well. And she liked that, that thing. So we are, (laughs) she is, she is aware that our, that our podcast exists (laughs) or, or, or her, her social media assistant may be aware that our podcast, (laughs) that our podcast exists. Um, anyway, so yeah, so, uh, Captain Captain Downey shows up with the with the band. Is that what, yeah the marching band? I don't know what you would call them. Uh, singing bring, bringing in the sheaves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's like this little comical bit where she has a folder with some information that she's presenting to. She's trying to present to Mr. Blake. So we have this like this little bit of comedy bit of her passing the folder to Blake. Blake passing it back to Sam. <laughs> Sam back to Captain. And just they just do with this this little circle with the. Uh, with the folder for a couple of for a couple of minutes there, uh, but this is where we, yeah, where we find out where the mission is exactly where Blake Plaza is going to go, and the mission is set to be torn down by the thirty first. Yeah, um, yeah, it, you know it's funny because in a way that's almost the byproduct of the mission. Because um, even Al points out that he's not there to save the Salvation Army building so much as he's there to save. Michael from himself. Um, sure. And, uh, I mean, obviously it's all very closely connected, but, um, yeah, this, this scene is, is, is very well done. Um, this episode looks great by the way. It's, it's strange cause it's not necessarily a remarkable episode in any technical way. Um, and certainly the special effects are noticeable, uh, as they would be in a show that's this old. But, uh, as far as any of the other shots, I mean, it's the high definition, uh, of this episode is, is, is quite remarkable. I thought, um, uh-huh. but yeah, the, the, this scene, you know, is, is that sort of wonderful establishing scene where we get all the characters, we learn what we're there for, uh, and start to learn a little bit more, you know, it goes beyond Michael just being a little bit sort of, you know, uh, um, I don't know what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for, but he, he, he does become a Scrooge character in this scene. Whereas sure. before he was just kind of a, a rich jerk. Now, you know, it's like, oh no, there's more to it. Like he's, he's willing to stand in the way of something good, uh, or tear down something good in order to pursue his own selfish desires. For sure. Yeah. He's got big plans for that, for that thing. Uh, so this scene wraps up like he, he dismisses Captain Downey. We should make it obvious, uh, or we should make it clear that at some point early in the scene, as they, uh, when him and Captain, Captain Downey meet and he realizes that Captain Downey is a woman, it's obvious from the beginning that there, there's a little bit of attraction yes. between them. And so, it's, assisted, uh, that will, it's assisted by the fact, too, that Al even makes one of his comments you know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of interesting sure. in a way that we're that we're getting reinforcement about the fact that she's attractive, as if we didn't have eyes. <laughs> we don't need to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, BB is probably more Al's type, but hey, um, and we'll get to BB. We'll get to BB later on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this scene wraps up with uh, with with basically Blake saying like, you know, you you need to go your do thing. I gotta go do mine, or or something along that line. And as he's walking away, and Al follows him, and he says, "Which is being a grouch." And speaking of plot points that will come back later in the episode, uh, Blake steps back, looks Al directly in the eye, and says, "What did you just say?" Yeah. And Blake can see Al. Yeah. Uh, so Sam distracts him for a moment. Al, you know, hits a hand like boop 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 boop, beeps out. Um, Blake thinks that 
this guy in the Hawaiian shirt has just gotten scared and ran away. And uh, after Blake and everybody disappears, Al pops back in. And the reason why Blake can see Al is that apparently Sam's and Blake's neurons and masons are a little bit too close to each other. And so they have to tweak Al's signal a little bit to to offset that. Right. Which is interesting because it did make me start to wonder about... um, but they, they, that explanation is great because if without that explanation, you would be kind of be left scratching your head. Well, why can't he see Sam for Sam? You know what I mean? Because sure, it, it, yeah. if, if, if it was just like, oh, he can see me for, you know, if it had been any other explanation, I feel like you'd have to start playing with the idea. It's like, well, why doesn't he see Sam? Um, yeah, but oh, because, I never thought about that. But because it has to do with Sam's neurons and mesons, you know, it's like Al can see Sam as Sam because... They've tweaked his neurons and mesons and such, but yeah, it, it is it is fun, um, and it, it it's one of those little bits that I think the show um, it never shied away from from figuring out how to, how best to tell the story as opposed to mm-hmm. you know playing by their own rules that they set up as far as you oh know. sure yeah, um, but I feel like it was explained in kind of a, a graceful enough way that it doesn't detract, it doesn't make you be like oh of course. You know, it's the same way with like Al. It's like Al knows everything, but because we're going to make a joke about it, it kind of makes it okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it works out. Yeah. And I do believe this is where, before we go to commercial break, where, like you were saying, Al says that he is, uh, Sam is there to save Michael Blake's soul. Yeah. Uh, and we do find more information out about what happens to Blake at the end of the episode. And I think it's interesting. Like, they wait until the end of the episode to reveal. Like what exactly happened to Blake? Yeah, and the way they present and the way they present that instead of just like Al just like reading it off right now. Which it's interesting because first of all, I do want to say I think this is a lovely episode. I really like it, and as I was watching it, I, I just you know it, it brought back some really good memories, and it it it, um, it had not necessarily entered into my headspace as we've been doing the podcast as an episode that I was going to be like. Oh, that's a great episode. But as I was watching, it's just like, oh, this is a really, really good episode. Uh, and the performances mm-hmm. are strong, etc. That said, um, I think if I'm going to be very nitpicky, it would have been interesting had they steered a little more into that. Uh, because I-, I feel like they toy at times with the idea of making Michael a bit more of a point of view character, which I know is difficult to do because that's Sam is our point of view character. But I think it would have been almost more interesting had he been a little bit more of our point of view character. There's an episode of Doctor Who, which is another TV show that does a lot of Christmas specials um, in the new oh, yeah, yeah. iteration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the Christmas specials is called A Christmas Carol. Uh, and, and it's, you know, similar enough in, in, in structure and in, in the way that, you know, the doctor decides to use the Christmas Carol trope, if you will. Uh, and mm-hmm. the thing is, is you get a little bit more from Scrooge's point of view, if you will. So I think it would, I don't know, it would have been kind of interesting to, uh, to see, to follow along Michael a little bit more and have a little bit more mystery even, um, mm-hmm. because I felt like the way that things kind of ended up unfolding, it, it became more about the, at times it was more about the mission and the character. And, uh, I feel like the episode is most successful, which it's, successful most of the time when it's more about the character. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah as we're going to get to here later on. Uh, so speaking of Mr. Blake, this is a good time. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, Charles Rocket. Sure. 
uh, yeah, he's Saturday an, Night Live. Uh, he, he, yeah, he was an interesting man. So, uh, yeah, I was reading up on his Wikipedia page, and, and the thing is, like, I think what he's most famous for is having been on Saturday Night Live, and he's remembered for having been fired for dropping the f bomb during an episode, and rereading the story as it's told on Wikipedia, like it almost seems like, like that was just like one aspect of it. Like he was in, he was in the first season of SNL after Lauren Michaels left for, for a number of years. And another producer came on and uh, he wasn't fired immediately after the episode where he dropped the F bomb. No, he was on one more episode and then him and a and a few other cast members were let go in a change of leadership. Yes, and I think that the that's show. the key right there is recognizing that it was kind of a, a mass firing as opposed to yeah. being one person fired for yeah saying the f word. Uh, but it is yeah, I mean it is kind of an interesting story in in, in television history, if you will. And, and he kind of etched his name there. Um, yeah, had an interesting career. Uh, um, you know, was fairly uh active and working um for you know i guess about 18 19 years or so um, oh sure and then unfortunately uh he did end up committing suicide um it's a really weird story he was found like in a field with his throat cut um mm-hmm. which you know if you if that was all you heard you certainly wouldn't jump to suicide right away um, but sure. that was the the eventual finding is that he had he had committed suicide. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, not to go too more, but yeah, one of our our listeners commented Rosen, who who comments frequently on our on our Facebook page. She she actually had uh, a relative in her family uh, take their own life mm. by that same way. Mm. Uh, it, she commented it's like you you really you really got to want to go. Yeah, if that's yeah. If, if that's the way. If that's the way you go. Um, uh, looking at his Wikipedia page, it is interesting that at some time in high school or college, he was known for playing a character called uh, Captain Packard. Okay. And it's also funny, when he comes back uh, next season, he will be playing Commander Riker. That's right. Commander Riker in Elite for Lisa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll get more into that. That I, uh, I cannot believe that 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 got passed. Uh, yeah. That he it, played it, a character called Commander Riker in another episode. Because that that was when, like, Star Trek The Next Generation was at the height of its popularity. So it's the the fact that they did that. Anyway, he also we'll, he, well, he would also go on to be in uh, Tequila and Benetti. Um, mm-hmm. He played a character called Captain Midian Knight, which mm-hmm. you could just shorten to Mid-Knight. Night. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, he also had a, uh, a run on... Um, uh, uh, touched by an angel, and mm-hmm. yep, that's right. Was the very first uh, angel of death on Touched by an Angel, um, Adam, and that was one of the last things that he did. Actually, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it, watching him in this episode, uh, I, I mean, I have to admit, I was quite taken with him a number of times, and I felt mm-hmm. like that there, he he had that rare ability, and whether this carried over through his entire career, or it was just in this episode, or what where he was able to um, sort of straddle the fence in terms of comedy and, and, and drama. Sure. Um, and, and, and I feel like that's a difficult thing to do. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's some wonderful moments where just looking at his face, 
Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, so there's just a lot of subtleties going on. Um, yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff under the surface, mm-hmm. um, which made him very interesting and fun to watch. And I really, like I said, I really, I really appreciated his performance a great deal. And it is, um, you know, it's too bad that, uh, he, he met, you know, an untimely and, and unfortunate and sure. Know, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the next scene. So Sam and Al are clearing out Blake's closet because in the previous scene, Blake had told uh, Reginald, Sam, to uh, basically like turn over his wardrobe, get rid of some of the older suits. Um, Al says him and Ziggy aren't, aren't able to find any information on Michael Blake. Um, and so Sam has a lens like, well, you know, you can learn a lot about a person by going through their closet. And Al's like, what, you're just going to find a, you know, a big box of information in the closet? comedic bit of Sam yeah. floating out like yeah just this huge box of photos uh, and from that we find a, a picture and some information that Michael's real name is Michael Blakowski and it turns out they can't find any information on him because he had changed his name Yeah, and I kind of have an issue with that because if you're someone like Michael Blake you're known right Especially if you ha- take such the huge fall from grace, no pun intended, uh, that someone like Michael Blake does. Right. And so it's weird that they wouldn't have, because Al just treats him like he's an unknown person. And yeah. it seems like he would have been a very well known person. Right. Because he was basically, I, I mean, especially if you look at it, uh, you know, from early 1990s TV terms when the show was on. Like, basically, Michael Blake was Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he would have been known. But anyway, uh, just that, that, that's just a small little quibble with the script. Yeah, well, I, I think it is interesting because I think that there are, I can't think of a specific example, but I think that there are literally other times within Quantum Leap where Ziggy finds information about somebody under an assumed name. Sure. So the fact that yeah, Ziggy has trouble digging up anything about Michael Someone Blake who has been a very change, it is it is interesting. I, you know, one could argue that maybe it was because of when he did it, or I don't know, whatever. Sure. It, anyway, it's, yeah, exactly. It's it's a, a it's, it's a minor it's a minor quibble it's in an otherwise just, yeah just great episode. Just just <laughs> thing. Um, and so it's in this scene where it gets dropped that I think Al says that he's a real Scrooge. Um. And so this is where Sam gets the idea that they scrooge him. Yep. And, and that's how they get through to him to not tear down the mission is that they um, they start off by showing him the ghost of Christmas past, as yeah. it were. Uh, I feel like we've talked about this before off mic. What is your favorite version of A Christmas Carol? It's probably the Alistair Sim version from like 51, 52, mm-hmm. I think. Sure. Um, Which, interesting enough, uh, you, you, you may know this, when it originally was released, that version of A Christmas Carol was simply called Scrooge. Yep, sure um, enough. And, and, now, and now when they sell, I think you have, you have a copy of this on your shelf at home. On Blu-ray, yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I have the same copy, and now it's just called A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. Yeah. yeah, but I remember I, like seeing this movie on TV when I was a kid off WGN, right? And, and then uh, what's Scrooge, yours? Yeah, 
Of uh, that version, yeah. Yeah. When when I was a kid, there was a there was a 1939 version. I can't remember who who played him. Reginald. Uh, Owen. I feel like the actor's name. Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like it may have been Reginald. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite one when I was a kid, and I thought uh, the Alistair Sims version was a little bit too scary, a little bit too dark. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then, as I got older, I was like, oh, I like that it's scarier, it's darker. It's a little bit more dramatic, uh, especially uh, oh the 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 one, the one scene after Jacob Marley, as he's leaving, and yes. Scrooge looks out the window, and it's all of these superimposed images of of Marley wailing and screaming and motioning towards the homeless person who is who is sitting right outside the window. Uh, yeah, I remember like when we first uh, watched that a couple of years ago with. Uh, with Betsy, like she wasn't paying attention during that moment. I'm like, no, 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 you have to see this image. Yeah, <laughs> and I rewound yeah. it so that, that she watched that, you know, like 30 seconds that that, that, that imagery is on the screen. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I love that version so much. And I think Alistair Sim is just wonderful. He's, he's a wonderful actor. And um, I've seen him in, the, in a number of other things. Uh, as well, um, Green for Danger and Inspector Calls. Those are those are both fantastic uh, uh, films and, and a great way to kind of see him outside of that Scrooge persona. Um, it's uh, you know it's worth mentioning that uh, I, I am fond of the George C. Scott version, which was made for television. Although I mm-hmm. think that it's a little too dour at times. Um, okay, you know it. it, it it doesn't carry the same atmosphere. I feel like I feel like it works better black and white. To be honest with you, I, I don't. That sounds silly, but sure. some, some films just do. Um, the Albert Finney musical version is kind of fun, um, but I think if I had to place one at number two, and this is mostly I think for for my wife's sake, because Jessica's favorite version is indeed a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that version. Oh, yeah, it's you I, know. I will- you should definitely, it's worth checking out. Michael Caine is fantastic, and there's some really sweet moments and, and some really well-done moments, especially with the puppets, obviously, and everything. It's, 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 worth, it's worth your time. Some of the songs right. are, yeah, but, you know. Uh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and obviously, and then, so, I think I've mentioned this before. I mean, I'm pretty intimately familiar with the, the, you know, with the story in general, just because I, I worked on the show for about six years in a row when I was living in Indianapolis, oh, right. the Indiana Repertory Theater um, does it every mm-hmm. year. And I understudied it for a number of years and I was in it, uh, as well, uh, playing, playing Cratchit and, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a wonderful story. There's a reason why it still gets done as much as it does. There's a reason why there are so many, you know, uh, sort of pastiches of it, like, like this episode. So I, I, I think, uh, it, it's fun. It's fun to see the way that they, that they decide to use it within the context of, of this episode. For sure. Uh, this has been a pretty popular version around Chicago. Have you ever seen a Klingon Christmas Carol? <laughs> I have not. Unfortunately, I'm not. Uh, it, there were several years where they were doing it every year, and I think they took a couple of, of years off, and it's been produced by different companies now. Uh, it, it is a pretty good adaptation okay. of the story, which I won't even bother trying to explain, but the best visual gag in the show is that obviously like they're all Klingons, like the modern era of Klingon. Right. But when the ghost of Christmas past equivalent shows up, he looks like classic Trek Klingon. Yes. 
That's awesome. Uh, by far the best visual gag in the yeah. show. Uh, but I, I do know that, that, yeah, there is one theater company, like, they are they are reviving it. They're doing it uh, this year because they already have auditions coming up for it. Sure. Um, but anyway, so they are, uh, they are, uh, they're going to Scrooge Mr. Blake, showing him in his past. Yep. So, um, this is where uh, Sam is going to go down to the mission. He's going to get some help from Captain Downey to to do this. Uh, and so this scene ends with Sam going off to do that and uh, BB coming in to, to tend to to Mr. Blake's room. And so this scene ends with Al singing, Deck the halls with yeah. me and BB. <laughs> la 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 la. Oh, Al. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Al. Anyway, so what are you so, going uh, to do? Yeah, so Sam makes it down to to visit with Captain Downey. And then from here, the next thing that we have between uh, Sam and Blake, uh, Blake gets in the back of his limo expecting George, his driver, uh, but Sam has given George the day off. So, so basically he can drive him down to his old neighborhood yeah. to, to Skid Row. Um, yeah, I, I, I like, um, the interactions between, um, Sam and, and Captain Downey, uh, quite a bit. Um, it's, it's interesting because I think in any other episode, the romantic storyline would come between like her and Sam's character. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, it, it, this episode is, is interesting because I feel like a lot of times, you know, when, when Sam is there, his, his character who he's leapt into is fairly central to a lot of the plot. And in this case, Pearson isn't really that central as odd as that might sound. It, mm-hmm. Sam makes him central because of the journey he takes Michael on. So sure. I don't know. There, there, there's just something about this episode. The more I think about it, and as I was watching it this morning, it really kind of stands apart in some ways. It's, it's, it's just very good. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that yeah. scene between the two of them quite a bit. Yeah. And it is important to know before we get to Skid Row. Um, so in the back of the car is a bunch of Blake's old suits. And including that is some pictures which Sam has planted. Yes. And uh, a picture of Blake's mom. And, and we find out the sad story that uh, the, that uh, Blake's dad had actually ran out on the family when he was young. Uh, when he was three. My father was a bum. He left when I was three. Yeah. Um, and that his mom died on her hands and knees cleaning someone else's bathroom. Uh, so there you kind of get Blake's origin story. Yeah. And, and it's. And how he is the way he is. It, it's interesting because it makes me wonder, um, you know, was it the life that he the lifestyle that he grew up in that made him want to acquire as much as he could to be as far separated from that as possible or was there a, at first a desire just a genuine desire to better himself and to perhaps maybe even you know better his mother uh you know buy his mom a house that sort of stuff that kind of started him on that journey and then somewhere along the way it became more about money and power than it did about a better life Sure. Sure. Because the thing is, like, it's already been planted that somewhere underneath, very much like Scrooge, like Blake does have a good heart down there somewhere yeah. underneath. He's not totally, uh, you know, he's not he's not totally ruthless. Right, um, right. He, he is he is just a very wounded soul. 
Yeah, and that's the thing that, that I feel like Charles Rocket does capture very well. Um, and and the, the one of the scenes that's coming up, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but um, when they do get to Skid Row... Uh, there's kind of a, there's, it's funny at first, you know, they get the flat tire and we see, yeah. and it reminded me, I had this weird thing. I don't know why it did, but it reminded me of the Baker street irregulars and Sherlock Holmes, how he has the kids that okay. are always working for him because like the, they send out these street urchins to like, you know, let the air out of the tire and, you know, do all this. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like working in the background. It just made me think of that. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it, yeah, the, there's there's a nice sort of comedic tone to the scene when they get outside and they realize where they are and like you know Charles Rocket is like, it's weird because he doesn't really scold Pearson too hard he scolds him but it's a sort of a lighter scolding like oh my god where are we why'd you even drive down here we got to get out of here you know and it, and it's it's a little lighter in tone which is nice because things are about to shift and mm-hmm. when he starts talking to one of his old friends on the street um. You know, and they've just purchased a bunch of, like, uh, uh, what is it that they buy? Chestnuts. Chestnuts, that's right. Chestnuts, uh, yeah. So it is important, yeah, before uh, before he runs into his friend on the street, yeah. uh, he just, he just like, looking around the neighborhood, he starts having, you know, flashbacks of, you know, him playing in the neighborhood when he was a child, because it turns out this was his old neighborhood, and he sees some boys playing, and then they run off around the corner, and then he runs into Captain Downey, and he says, do you know those boys? And Captain Downey's like... What boys? Yeah, yeah. Do 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 do, uh, and that will come back into play later on in the yes, story. Yes, it will. Uh, so yeah, so he sees a, a vendor selling some chestnuts on the street. Um, Max, and he's like, "Hey, hey, yeah, Max." I say, "Hey, let's buy two bags." And I'd forgotten if this moment happened in the episode, and I was pleasantly surprised when he asked for two bags. Then he turns and looks at Sam, three bags. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't forget your ballet. Right, yeah. right, right. And then it turns out, yeah, uh, he knows uh, he, he knows the vendor. It's it's uh, is is uh, I'm trying to remember. Yes. Yeah. Max is the vendor. Charlie Charlie's O'Reilly was yeah. was Blake's childhood best friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it turns out that they. Uh, yeah. Max remembers Blake. And, and this is where we get some of that warmth that you were talking about, um, you know, from Michael and in, in, in that there is a there is more to him. There is some heart there. Um, and he he allows himself to be vulnerable and and kind of start catching up with Max. And it's interesting because he does it in a very honest, genuine way, as opposed to. Oh, I'm rich and have all this money and power and some bit of notoriety, and now I'm talking to this old friend who, you know, clearly didn't make it as far as I did. There's, sure. there's, just, a, there's just a genuine camaraderie there, catching up. You know, there's no he's not putting on any airs at all. And then things take a turn when we learn that Charlie lost his job, became an alcoholic, and killed himself. Yeah, and so uh, it's important to note the reason why that happened is that. Uh, a detail that we glossed over earlier in the episode is that Blake made his fortune by buying these old businesses, automating them, and then turning them over for a quick profit. And Charlie O'Reilly, his childhood best friend, ended up becoming a victim of that. He yeah. lost his job at Henderson's Bakery, which Blake bought, automated, sold, and uh, so he jumped out in, in front of a bus. Yeah. Yeah, and and this, this episode point, is laden with a lot of violent suicide stories. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it's at this point that the you know the guilt gets to to Blake, and he tries to hand Max um, 
more money than the chestnuts are worth. Max doesn't really want to take it. You know, Blake gets kind of pissed off about it. And, you know, eventually they, they kind of storm off. And it's interesting because you're left with the sense that Max feels sorry for Blake as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, the rich, powerful guy feeling sorry for the street vendor. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a really nice, it's just a really nice scene and it's played well. And, uh, it doesn't, you know, the, it, I have no problem with melodrama, especially when it's done well. And I think quantum leap has mm-hmm. definitely done that on a couple of occasions. Thou shalt not be a great example, but this doesn't dip into melodrama. And I appreciate that. It feels a little more, there's a little more grit to it. Um, yeah, I like it. Okay, I was gonna say this one. I this one. I feel like sometimes it does dip into melodrama a little bit, but I'm okay with that. I would yes, I would agree with that. I just think that this scene specifically does not do that. I see. I, it, yeah, it feels yeah, a little, I, like I said. I feel there's there's a little bit more grit to it than what we get yeah. in some of the other scenes. And, and like I said, I don't have a problem with melodrama either. And I think that this episode, I, I agree with what you just said totally. Yeah. Now uh, this actor who plays Max, he was just. I, he was just really great in this one scene. Uh, I really like the one moment where he talks about how him and the and the friends like they got in trouble with with some older woman in the neighborhood who was a kid, and he makes yeah. his voice like whoa, and he, like the way he like shakes his hand in front of his chest. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really funny. Uh, I was, agree. Uh, no, I, actor, I, I thought I, I thought he was really good too. Uh, that that actor's yeah. name is Robert Lesser, and um, he's been around yes. for a long time, still around today. Um, it looks like his first credit was actually back in 1967. Um, and his latest credit has been in 2016. Uh, lots yeah. of TV, lots of film. Um, you know, he was in Die Hard. Uh, he was in Godzilla. He was in Godzilla, <laughs> the 1990, the 1998 version. That's uh, right. Oh, he also played was... Alan Freed in Great Balls of Fire, the Jerry Lee Lewis biopic with uh, Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder. Ooh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, so from there, so this kind of throws a a, a kink in Sam's plan because yeah. the 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 Christmas pasting does not go well. Uh, this scene actually ends with with Blake storming back off to the car and Max asking Sam and Captain Downey if he did anything wrong, and Sam responds, "No, I did." Um, and then from there, we we cut back to Thirty Rock where. Uh, Blake is uh, staring out the window, uh, lamenting uh, that he wants the the trees or he wants the, the lights on the Christmas tree turned off. Uh, he's getting drunk, drowning his sorrows, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting because uh, isn't it, isn't it Al who who thinks that this is actually a good thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because Sam was saying like he felt the thing. It's like like no, like he's like like you have him thinking. I can't remember the exact dialogue. But it's like yeah, you've you've actually done a good a good thing. Yeah, uh, and we do get a nice moment of uh, Sam sharing with Al his memories of what his Christmas in 1962 was yeah, like. Yeah, he was nine so years old. Moment. Dad got yeah. on the sled. He went sledding with Tom. Yeah, I feel like this is something they they start dropping more moments in like this after the leap home. Hmm. Um, which it's it's just nice to like give some like context for for like Sam and where he was at this time. Well, and it's great too because Al, uh, you know, Dean Stockwell, um, uh, as always, is, is is great. Although I'm not a huge fan of his Ghost of Christmas Future, to be honest with you. Um, but oh, that's I'm, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of his Ghost, and I'll tell you why when we right. get there. Um, <laughs> when we but, get there. But that said, this moment, the way that he kind of looks at Sam as Sam is reminiscing, and then. 
Um, which isn't for very long because we get most of this scene from Blake's point of view. So we don't actually see Al there. Sure. Um, yeah. Cause uh, yeah. Cause Sam comes back over and Blake's like, who are you talking to? I'm just talking to myself. This is where we get this, this interesting conversation about Sam saying he feels sorry for Blake and Blake has a line. Uh, I own more modern art than the Guttenheim. I pay more for one month's rent than you earn in a year. Yeah. I'm the living embodiment of the American dream. And then this is where, like, Sam is, you know, challenges him with saying that you're still missing something. Sure. Uh, and uh, that he'll bet one month's rent to prove it. Um, yeah. And then they're off, back in the streets again. And they're back, yeah, they're, they are back down uh, uh, to the site of Blake Plaza. Yes, the future so, yeah, site. Yeah, the future site, because Sam's like, feel that, that brick, it's cold, there's no warmth. But it's, it's a little bit preachy. Uh, but then they hear Carol of the Bells coming from the mission and uh and so they wander in and there's a nice little moment again you kind of get the idea that uh blake and captain downey are attracted to each other mm-hmm. and basically the scene is like captain downey says one more time like is there any way you'll reconsider and captain downey says no or, or blake says no and then captain downey's like well we wish you the best of luck yeah yeah that that element of sort of like you know forgiveness, if you will, um, uh, is is key in this particular scene um, for what's about to happen. Because I sure. feel like without that, like if if the scene would have been, you know, well, I'm I'm you know I'm still tearing down your building. Peace out. And then she says, Oh wait, no, you should stay and sing with us. It would have been like, yeah, of course, because it's a freaking Christmas sure. movie. Yeah. But, you know, that's what the Hallmark version of this film would be, or episode mm-hmm. would be. But because be, because there's that moment where she's just sort of, like, steals herself for it and says, well, you know, we wish you the best, and, you mm-hmm. know, Merry Christmas, and that sort of thing. Then when she turns around and invites them to stay and sing, it, I don't know, it feels... I, I'm more on board with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's interesting because both, uh, obviously, Scott Bakula, as we well know, uh, but both Bakula and Charles Rocket... Um, are, are very good singers. Uh, you wouldn't know it from this scene because you really don't hear their voices. No, and, and I made a note of that too. It's just one of the, it's, um, it's one of the, the rare times in the show like you see Sam singing and he's not front and center. Yeah. yeah. I, again, I think it just kind of feeds into what I was saying earlier about how the, uh, Sam does not necessarily feel as central to the episode in a lot of ways as he normally sure. would. Uh, mm-hmm. It really is, you know, more Charles's episode. Um, yeah. No, I, it's, it's a good scene. It's a fine scene. And then after that, they, uh, what are the, what's the Polish, uh, honey cakes they're going to eat? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. The name were terrible. No, no, no. Yeah. I forgot to jot it down too. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're about ready to have that. And, and Blake has to explain to, to Sam what it is because it was a treat that, that he loved having right. when he was a kid. Uh, but the long story short of this scene is that, uh, him and, and Captain Downey, they they sit down, they start having they start having kind of a moment, and then a character who I think is credited as Tiny Boy uh, wanders up with the horse, and he's showing tiny the horse. Boy, not, tiny boy, not tiny. I was like, come on, it's tiny. Tim. Right, right. Just steer into it. Just, steer just into say, it. God bless us, everyone, and get it over with. Uh, but th- they they are having a moment, and uh, this is actually like Sam and Al. They're off standing by the door. And I was like, you did it. You saved a soul. Get ready to leap. Looking at, you know, the hand link, you know, Ziggy says there's a 95% chance. And then the, the odds start dropping. 
and they can't figure out why. And then the door opens up behind Sam and Sam and Al step aside. And then the boys from the Skid Row scene uh, earlier. Yeah, our Skid Row Irregulars. Yeah, our in. Skid Row Regulars, our street urchins. They come wandering in. They go to get their treats and they walk right into into the line of sight of Blake. And he sees them. And he sees that there is trickery afoot. Yeah, and he calls him out on it. Uh, I, I wanted to mention that, it, you know, right prior to this, and even prior to uh, Tiny Boy giving um, uh, Michael the the horse, the gift, yeah. um, there's some really nice interplay between um, Michael and, and Downey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we find out that she's the one that cooked uh, the, the Piernik, is what it's called. Piernik, that's yeah. it. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, that his mother used to make it for him, and uh, you know that that he she takes it as a compliment that that he thought it was so good if it was something that he had in his childhood and his mother, and then she makes a joke about like you know she sings and she cooks, um, and so there's that that sort of light flirting which is really nice, and this isn't yet another one of those opportunities where Michael feels uh, a lot warmer uh, of a human sure. being than what we've seen, and you and you buy it, and I think that that's a testament to to the actor. Um, so it's just another opportunity for, I think for people to kind of be like, Oh wow. You know, I mean, this guy's, this guy's quite remarkable in the role. Um, but yeah, then the kids kind of spoil it all. And Michael's all like, you could, you know, think you'd use kids to me. You know, it's a cheap trick, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, the odds of course, yeah, sink into the toilet. And, uh, and now Sam is like, Oh boy. You know, we've, we've, we've really screwed it up. Um, screw this up. Yeah. So now, um, uh, so now they're they're back at uh, at Blake's apartment, and basically it's and Blake is like you you better hope that I'm not still as mad as you in the morning, or I'm going to fire you. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, and so we get the entire episode is leading up to the gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> you know the seeds uh, I mean, been planted. The, the seeds been planted. I mean, there there are great you know there there are great moments and there are great scenes leading up. But it's all, you know, leading up to uh, to the money shot here of, uh, <laughs> of uh, you know, Sam and Al, like their, their lamenting of, you know, what they do now. And that's when we have this great character moment of like Sam gets an idea, the light bulb over his head. He starts pacing around Al. And I was like, I don't like that look. What are we talking about? And this is where, like, you know, we've been scrooging him. We've shown him the past. We've shown him the present. Now it's time to give him the ghost. Yeah. Of Christmas future, you can tell by like the way it's staged. We're about ready to see something interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Al's ghost of Christmas future. You don't like him. I like him. Let, let's hash this out. You know, it's not that I don't like him. I guess I just don't find him as particularly as endearing as maybe I think I'm supposed to. Uh, it's very over the top. It's very, um, which I appreciate because it's. Al putting on the character. Um, yeah, I don't know. Even Jess looked at me at one point. She wasn't really watching the episode because she was feeding Hattie. But she looked at me at one point and she was just like, what is with the makeup? What is, why is he, Why are lights blinking in his hat? Like, I, you know. And it's funny, though, because even, even Michael makes the joke about how he looks more like Jacob Marley yeah, with the chains yeah. and everything that he does the Ghost of Christmas Future. Uh, which traditionally, obviously, the Ghost of Christmas Future is silent. So that kind yep. of makes it even more amusing that Al is most certainly not silent. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Tell me why I should love him. Change my See, mind. That's because you said all of the reasons why. It's, 
It's because it, it's it, it, it's not Dean Stockwell playing the Ghost of Christmas Future yes, right. and putting on this performance. It's Al who is having fun, like going like really garish and over the top. Sure. Being the ghost of Christmas future, throwing this together on the fly, not really thinking about it, putting this weird Halloween makeup, black, you know, black eye stuff, the blinking light on the hat, uh, wearing the chains and getting it all mixed up. Just the, the mishmash of throwing everything together like the Yeah, like you're you're doing it yeah, right now. I can't, like, hand, like, yeah. like the weird black hand thing around his neck, whatever that is. Uh and even still smoking his cigar yeah. as he's do- as he's doing this between this and the handling, that's why I I love it. it. It's because it's someone who is not an actor but is still like a larger than life person who gets to be an actor. Basically, sure, getting to have fun with no consequences. Uh, basically, I mean, like being being a hologram, like you get all the advantages of playing a ghost and really messing with someone. In yeah. a way, and so that's this is exactly how I would expect Al to act. Yeah, in this moment, and that's why I think it's brilliant. I, okay, <laughs> you win. Okay. <laughs> um, I, one of the things that I really like about this too is I, I love how um, they they play with his holographic nature and and the fact that. Blake, you know, jumps through him as opposed sure. to like reaches out to grab him, which I feel like would have been fine. But by making it even sort of more over the top with him jumping through him like twice, it's I don't know. It's 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 visually it's arresting. It's nice. Um, all the tricks he ends up pulling, you know, sort of levitating uh, the way that he ends up using the hand link, uh, which I'll say something about in just a second. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely works. But I I have to admit it felt like I personally felt like what came before was even stronger. Okay. It felt a little bit, and and I don't know why, because we're watching a science fiction show. Uh, but, but, but it felt a little bit more real, a little bit more honest. And this started to just feel a little bit more absurd and over the top. And especially in the context of a Christmas Carol, knowing that the ghost of Christmas future is the most terrifying of all the ghosts. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of, it's not that, which is fine. Sure. Um, and I'm being nitpicky. At the end of the day, I love the episode. I love Dean Stockwell. It's great. Yeah. But, but, but it yeah. sounds like you may have more respect for the source material than I do. <laughs> more, more, uh, not respect, more reverence for the source material than I do. Sure, sure. So, so yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so from here, um, we, we start the scene of, of Blake calling. Uh, Pearson in, and of course Sam Pearson can't, quote, can't see right, this right. this weird apparition in the room, and so uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future Al tells him to uh, to get dressed because we're going to go take a walk on the wild side. <laughs> uh, and so they so they go to the site of Blake Plaza. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Al shows him his future in a way that we haven't seen before. We just know that we have to, Sam has to save Blake's soul, but we don't know what happened to Blake. And this is where we learned. Right. This is where we learned what happened in a, in a very creative way. Yeah. So it's cool because, uh, we get the projection of Blake Plaza, um, uh-huh. which is, um, 
an interesting use of the hand link that we've not seen before. Matt mentions mm-hmm. in his book about how um, it's interesting that in um, Pool Hall Blues, Al struggled to even project a um, you know the lines on the table for Sam to follow. That that took a lot of power, and now here he is projecting a building, you know, the sky. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I have some fan wank uh, to throw out there about that. Sure. I think between, um, you know, what ended up happening in Honeymoon Express, which obviously comes before Pool Hall Blues, mm-hmm. uh, but then compounded by uh, him saving Tom in A Leap Home Part 2, that Project Quantum Leap now has more than one person in its corner back in you know Sam's Ooh. actual present, yes. and so they're okay. able to get more funding, and uh, and so that, that that in my opinion that explains like the new advanced looking hand link that Al has these okay. new abilities that he's able to kind of project all of these things. Um, yeah, that, that, that's just my you know my my silly theory. Um, I like that. Yeah, because it is. Uh, what is it in the? Is it in uh, Prelude or, or which novel that it is where where they do talk about how in this new timeline where Tom lives, Tom is uh, he's a huge advocate and he and he does have some clout and he does have some influence in getting Quantum Leap Project Quantum Leap more resources. Yeah, I do believe it's mentioned in Prelude. I also think that it, it is it um, it plays pretty heavy part in Mirror Image does it, or not Mirror Image uh, Mirror Mirror the final Mirror's book. Edge Mirror's Edge yes yes Jeez. yeah. No, no, no. Four hours of sleep, man. Four hours of sleep. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got you. I got you. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that fan wake. And it's interesting because, yeah, we we get to show Don't Tell. Right. In a Absolutely. Way. I mean, in a way, I mean, we, we get to show by way of news anchors on, on TV telling it. Like, we don't, you know, we don't show Blake taking the header off Blake Plaza after he loses it. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. But we do get, and it's interesting because I feel like it's worth pointing out that we do get this little snippet of a scene of, of like older Blake, you know, after he's had to file bankruptcy and everything. And it's, to me, there's like this element of like, man, they, you know, they had to dress him up in in different clothes, put that wig on him, you know, do all this stuff just for something that lasted like five seconds on screen. Um, sure, and, and, and it's kind of a, it's just a cool little moment and adds to it, and uh, yeah. So we get the the news footage and we learn about the bankruptcy and the suicide, um, yeah. And then Al ends up showing him the the tombstone. Um, it's yeah. The, the, so, so speaking, yeah. So everything being thrown together really quickly. So while Al is throwing together an outfit really quick, and you got to figure Tina's probably helping him. Right, sure. Someone had to quickly go into props department mode at Project Quantum Leap and make a headstone. Right, right, right. (laughs) Unless, unless you think maybe he was projecting that too? Uh, could be. I don't know. Like he was sitting on something else and they just projected like a hologram of of a tombstone around. Right. Because it's worth noting that even though the the building is sort of the bluish light, that the the TV stuff that we see, while it has a little bit of a bluish tint to it, is basically what you would see. Like there's colors, there's not, you know, it's not. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. That's, Mm. yeah. Or maybe they went and actually pulled up the headstone. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like the way Michael Myers does in the first Halloween 
well, with his sister's gravestone. You, you know, maybe the thought was is if all this works out, he's not going to need it anyway. So he's not gonna, oh, so they, so they go. Then it's just going to be kind of like uh, the the headstone in uh, in Back to the Future Three. It's just going to fade out of existence. Yeah, it's just going to fade out of existence entirely. Okay, quick segue. I got I got to throw this out there because I figured sure. of all people, you would appreciate this the most. On Prime Day on Amazon, I bought one thing. They had the complete Back to the Future Blu-ray set for $16. So I had to that buy that. That is amazing. Yeah. Yes. I'm very excited about diving into it. I even I actually even got rid of my DVDs. I already, I already sold those over at Reckless because I was like, eh, goodbye DVDs. Yeah, I'm upgrading yeah. to Blu-ray. You know, I, I got to be honest. I, I bought the Blu-rays when they first came out. I don't think I've actually sit down and watched the movies all the way through yeah. yet. I even bought like the, the, there's a documentary that came out a couple of years ago. I think it's called like out of time or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet. I need to, uh, it's good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed I it. To, yeah. I mean, I it's, it's mostly about the car, but you know, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But I need to, uh, yeah. Dive back into, dive back into that. Yeah. Speaking of diving back in. Yeah. Um, speaking of dive back in. So, uh, so yeah. So ghost of Christmas future, Al breaks Blake. Uh, by showing him in his future that he's he's gonna he's gonna lose his fortune, die alone, commit suicide by jumping off the Samito Plaza, I think it yeah, is now. Yeah, yeah. What is it that he says? Doesn't Blake have a line about like something like "What did they do to my plaza, my building, or something like oh, that?" Oh, like this wine, like they took my plaza. Yeah, they took. <laughs> it does look. I, it, I feel like one of the reasons why I prefer the first like two thirds of the episode maybe is because it does get a little silly. Um, but I don't know that that's a bad thing. Uh, and, and then of course there is the sweet scene when, when he realizes that he's going to turn over the new leaf and he runs to the Salvation Army door and down he yeah. comes out and they have a moment and, um, do they actually kiss? I don't think they kiss. No. Yeah, like, they don't get, they look like they're, they, they might kiss, but then yeah. we fade over and we're on. Sam and Al, and that's when Al tells them that they get married and have three kids. Yes. Again, back to the trope of we we know everything worked out okay because they had kids. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. The quantum leap trope. Um, One other thing that we need to point out, obviously, is the star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's there's a star, a a very bright, a very fake-looking star shining down over the doorway. A very fake-looking blue light at the door of the Salvation Army. Yeah, which is what prompts Michael to go over there. He's to it's a sign. There. Yeah, know. he even asks, like, I think Sam, if it's a sign, is like, I can't. But yeah, basically, Sam says, yeah, it's a sign. So he goes over there and he talks with Captain Downey, and then we cut over to uh, back over to Sam and Al, and um, and this is one of our uh, one of our. Uh, Facebook fan likes on our, our one of our Facebook fans on our followers on our page pointed out that they really thought this was a sweet moment where you find out that uh, Al did not put the star there. Yeah. Uh, one, one quick thing that I want about because I want to mention something about that too. But it is interesting to note that that they still tear down the Salvation Army building and build uh, Blake's Plaza. Yes. But the difference being that he gives the entire first floor to the Salvation Army. That's sweet. So it is kind of interesting that in a way he still gets his building. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and you know, uh, I hadn't really thought about this, but especially now with with things going on in the, in the country that they are going on, you know, you see a lot of posts where uh, 
if all of the billionaire if all of the billionaires wanted to end poverty in this country, they could do it several times over. Yeah. Um, not not to get too political here, uh, but as I say, you know, uh, yeah, the the billionaires they could have their cake and eat it too if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, this isn't a political podcast. Everything's political. We Everything, live in a political world. We we do live in very <laughs> we do live in very political times right here. Uh, I'm pulling up. I'm I'm checking out our our Facebook page here. I want to give shout outs to, uh, to all the people who did uh, who did reach out to us and did comment on our posts. While you look uh, that up, real quick, I, I just wanted to add about the about the star and the light in that moment. Um, you know, it's it's a, it is it is really sweet because even the writer it's mentioned in Matt's book says something to the effect of, you know, he's okay with people seeing what they want to see in it and, you know, thinking if the light was really this miracle um, or or, or if it was just a, a, you know, random occurrence that led to the miracle, he's fine with that. He sees it as an actual miracle. Um, The fact that, you know, Al didn't do it um, and that Al almost seems a little, it's strange, especially knowing what we know about him and, and his struggles with faith. Al seems a little less surprised by it. Like he, it's almost, he's more accepting of the fact that this star is shining down on the exact spot they need it to without them having to have manipulated it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Sam, there's this moment of kind of wonder where he kind of looks up and it's just, it's like, did this really happen? Like, is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a nice moment where, you know, Sam says, Merry Christmas, Al. Al says, Merry Christmas, Sam. And this is the moment that I was talking about earlier that Dean Stockwell, much in the same way that Charles Rocket did a couple of times in this episode, tells you a story on his face without saying a word. Yeah. Know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's beautiful because to Sam, it's Christmas. And with what he's been doing, who the hell knows when or if he's going to get another Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, every day that he leaps into for the next 20 years could be May 5th, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was completely arbitrary. So it's it's a really sweet, sweet moment, and I think that it, after after rewatching this episode, it definitely raised uh, in, in, in my estimation quite a bit, and, and, and I think that uh, I'd be hard-pressed not to want to watch it come December. That is a good point. Yeah, it's usually uh, every Christmas I'll watch either this episode or It's a Wonderful Leap. Sure, yeah. One of, one of those two. Um, so I, yeah. I, I did It's a Wonderful Leap a couple of years ago when, when the show was on Netflix. Oh, actually. sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jennifer Nance, she was, uh, yeah, she, uh, she pointed out like some fond memories of this episode. She did directly pointed out the, the odd circumstance in which Al, which, uh, which Sam leaps into at the beginning yeah. of the episode. yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, Juan Moises Baza, uh, I apologize if I'm butchering your name. Uh, he just, he really enjoyed the show. And then Michael Pohl, like he pointed out the, the star appearing at the end of the episode, uh, was just a very touching moment. And, and also them saying Merry Christmas to each other. Like you pointed out is a very touching moment. Yeah. It's also worth pointing out, like, cause earlier in the episode, Al points out that he's dressed the way he is because it's July. Right. Where he is. And that's uh, that's a moment that's cut out in reruns. As, oh, I, re- as I recall, you you don't get that explanation uh, that it's not Christmas time 
for Al. So you kind of lose that a little bit at the end of the episode when Sam says Merry Christmas, Al. You know, Al kind of gives that look of it's not Christmas for me, but I'll throw you a bone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's also got to be an element of, um, I mean, it's entirely possible that two Christmases have passed since Sam started leaping. So that's two years without Sam home for Christmas. And you got to imagine that Sam and Al probably, like the, with their friendship, they probably had like a Christmas thing. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And, and that that's been missing for the past couple of years. So it, it, I don't know. There's just a lot. There was a lot in that little moment for me. And it made me really, I don't know, it just it, 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 it hit me and I really appreciated it. And I just thought that, you know, Sam is appreciative, like kind of in the moment of like, Merry Christmas, Al. Whereas for Al, it, it feels a little bit deeper. Like there's more going on sure. in his response. And I really like that. Yeah. I don't think I... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, you, Sam, and you listeners. I don't think there's ever a moment in another episode where it's Christmas for Al, but it's not Christmas time where, where Sam is. I don't think there is. That would have been a nice touch at some point. I agree, actually. Yeah, I don't think there is either. I can't think of any. So, yeah. But yeah, but that's, uh, that's really sweet. So, uh, so Sam leaps out. And he leaps all the way back to season two. Yeah, Sea Bride. <laughs> and the Sea Bride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back there. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah. But we will not be talking about that next week. Next week, we'll be talking about Runaway. Runaway. Uh, which we, we, we talked about this before off mic. Runaway is a really interesting episode for me because, uh, this was the only episode I did not watch live on NBC mm. after I started watching the show because uh, we had a really bad storm in our area the night this episode aired. And so uh, the power was out. I didn't see this episode until it was in reruns on USA. So even over 20 years later, this episode exists in a weird headspace with me where it's kind of like a lost episode sure, that, I sure. discovered, that I discovered after the fact. Uh, and it is also of note because this was the last episode that aired before the show went on a, I think, like two-month hiatus because the show had been canceled. And then a huge letter-writing campaign brought the show back, and the first episode back was eight and a half months where he leaps into the, into the pregnant teenager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Runaway is also very, very interesting because uh, it's the first time that Sam leaps into, um, well, I guess Kamikaze Kid, but he's not that young. But he leaps no. into a 13-year-old. He lives in a th- I mean, it's definitely, uh, at least in the television series, it's the youngest, the youngest person that he, that he, yeah. leaps, in, that he leaps into. Uh, and uh, the wall in the novel series, he leaps into a little girl. He does Odyssey. He leaps into a, a boy as well. Uh, uh, but I think that's I right. think he's like fourteen, maybe or whatever. Something like that. Yeah, Odyssey is the other novel where I think they mention uh, it happens in more than just this one. But not, uh, I think Odyssey uh, has a, a, a storyline of Tom in the future as well, if I remember right. Sure, um, sure. So, but yeah, uh, uh, you know. For me, I, again, I really enjoyed this episode quite quite a bit, and I think uh, coming out, I, I enjoyed it even more um, than I did before. Uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, when rewatching a show that's almost thirty years old that I've seen multiple episodes, probably in the double digits, 
I gotta say, you know, it's 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 a, it's a cool thing when that happens. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I, maybe I need to go back and rewatch this episode again and really appreciate the the first the first part of it because there are some really great moments. Yeah, earlier, you know, earlier in the episode, I just uh, maybe it's, it's still the little kid in me. I always just I'm I'm just watching for the buildup of of <laughs> Al being goofy. Sure, sure. Uh, Al being goofy at the at the end of the episode and. And yeah, and uh, I, Charles Rocket. What a sad story. Yeah, yeah, man. That's that. That really is sad. And it, it was completely unexpected for me because as I was watching it, it's like, man, I recognize him, um, but I don't know exactly from what. So let me, you know, take a look at IMDb. And then I was like, oh, he died in two thousand five. And then I read the story, and I was like, oh, and and I don't know. It's possible that I was aware at one point in time, but I had certainly forgotten. Um, sure. Because, yeah, it, it definitely kind of surprised me. Um, it's too bad, and it made me start to think about the fact that, and, and obviously with a show that's 30 years old, it's going to happen, but a lot of the actors that we have mentioned in the show who've passed, um, I'd say that more of them have died young, if you will, young-ish, mm-hmm. you know, than than those that have passed from old age. Um it was too damn bad, uh, uh, but uh, it, it, this performance that he gives is, is fantastic, and I, I think that um, you know if, if, if you're going to leave something behind that 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 is as uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're an artist and you get the opportunity to leave something like this behind. For sure. Yeah, it's not all bad. It's not, it's not all, all bad. bad yeah. So I'm going to throw out a morbid fact. Okay. Uh, and then to, to end the episode on, on a high note, maybe we should loop it around, I don't know, to a favorite Christmas memory or something. Let's remin- let's ruminate on that here for a second. But here's a really morbid fact where he talked about how, you know, a lot of, you know, people like, you know, uh, a lot of actors on the show like have have an untimely deaths, so on and so forth. Here's an interesting fact I heard on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me a couple oh of weeks ago. Uh, by the year 2020, which is just a couple of years from now, there will be more Facebook profiles of dead people than alive people. No. Yes. Wow. Wow. That, yeah, and it's uh, because I said I'm starting a, a new podcast, so I have a Facebook page for it. So I did the thing the other day where I created the page, and I invited sure. everybody on my friends list to come like it. And I'm just like, you know, it's just like I'm just going down the list. I'm just invite, 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 just like very automatic whatever. And there are at least three people on my friends list who have passed away that I inadvertently invited. And that it was like only after I hit the click button that I look at the name and go, ah, oh, yeah, they, they passed away a couple of years ago. Oh man. Well, yeah. Anyway. So yeah. Uh, life goes on. I, you know, actually to, to, to add to, bring to that it back real quick, okay. speaking of sort of the circle of life, uh, I had a friend of mine pass away, um, just a couple of weeks ago and he was an older gentleman. He was mm-hmm. in his eighties. Uh, but we became friends when I was working at Lyric Opera, and it was at the Christmas party. And um, it was my first Christmas party there. Uh, I had gone up to the bar to get a drink, and he was standing there. And he just always seemed like an interesting individual. And someone had given him back a movie, and I believe that it was The uh, the Big Sleep, the Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall sure. movie of the Raymond Chandler novel. And um, 
and uh, we just started talking about films. And we were talking mostly about Hitchcock, but we were talking about a few other things here or there, some foreign films and such. And I think he appreciated the fact that I, you know, that I was interested as much as I was and that I knew as much as I did. Um, and, uh, we would continue this conversation even post Christmas and eventually he invited me over and he and another friend of his, we would watch, uh, films together and, um, did this for you know, about two years or so, um, you know, at least once a month, if not more often. And, uh, he, he passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and the two days before he died, I, I was able to go over to his house and spend some time with him and oh, wow. uh, spend about three hours there. We talked. Um, at one point we were talking about my daughter, you know, her, her impending arrival in, in the world. And, uh, he asked what, if we had a name and I said, yes. And he asked what it was. And at this point, Jessica and I weren't really telling anybody names. Sure. But for whatever reason, I, I told him the name, you know, and, yeah. uh, and kind of looking back, it's just, I, I'm really glad that, that I did that. Um, yeah. and, and he, he, he approved, he thought it was really nice. And, um, uh, I, so I was glad I'm thankful for that, grateful for that. And so speaking about Christmas memories, you know, in the, in the memory of Larry, I would have to say that, uh, that that Christmas party was pretty cool and, and getting the chance to have that moment and interaction and meet him. Uh, I learned a lot from him. I feel like I'm probably a, a better person, um, for, for, for knowing him. Um, I, Christmas is my favorite time of year though. And I could probably easily, you know, come up with like 20 memories that I just love and love and love. Sure. Um, the Christmases that I've gotten to spend these past few years with Jessica and her family have been really great because I went a number of years spending Christmas alone. Um, mm. when I was working on a Christmas carol and going into the next show of the year, oftentimes it was very difficult for me to travel sure. uh, to Pennsylvania, which is where my family is. So I usually just spent Christmas by myself in my little studio apartment, uh, in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. yeah. Um, but I, you know, I was never sad about it. I usually really enjoyed it. it. You know, it was usually coming off of, uh, this, you know, six, week plus run of, of Christmas Carol, which was exhausting. You're looking at like 10, 12 shows a week. And even when I was understudying, you know, you're still there, uh, three or four times a week, three or four shows a week and other things going on and everything. So it was just a wonderful time for me to just take a break, turn everything, tune everyone out and, you know, just enjoy some time, me and my cat. Um, but yeah, these past few years in particular have been pretty incredible. And, uh, and to think that this year will be the first I celebrate Christmas as a dad. I'm really looking forward to as well. So yeah. I love Christmas. Every Christmas is my favorite Christmas. Anyway, oh, what about that's you? Awesome story. <laughs> uh, so I didn't really know what I was going to say to the hearing you talk. It popped into my mind. Um, so when I was a kid at some point, mom got me the uh, Nintendo game, Dr. Mario. Yeah. Which uh, it wasn't as a Christmas present. It was just like a random, you know, whatever gift that you got for me. Uh, and I ended up not, really liking the game at all. So I didn't, I didn't really play it at all. So uh, my dad being the kind of person that he was, he hated video games. He just thought, uh, he loved using the phrase, like you might as well just open the door and throw the cash out the, throw the cash out the front door of the house. Uh, you know, that, that's how he referred to stuff like me. thought it was just a total waste of money. And so my mom, not wanting to hear that from my dad about Dr. Mario, uh, she decided to start playing the game so it wasn't a waste of money. Uh, so she actually wound up getting like really good at it, and I could never really beat her. Uh, so the last Christmas uh, that me and mom had together before uh, before she passed away, because she passed away in early March, uh, the last thing we did uh, before I left was that we sat down and we played Dr. Mario. That's awesome. Uh, you know, before I went to uh, 
before I went to catch my flight. And luckily, one of my siblings like got that on camera of us playing together. It was like our last photo wow. with each other. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's my Christmas memory. I love it. I love it. Moms are moms. Moms are good at those things. My mom was wicked good at Super Mario Brothers too. Like I don't know oh. what it was. She was wicked good at it. The one especially like the, the ice level where like you had to jump onto the little bricks and you slid off all the time. Like she was the one masterful. where the game makers are high whenever we're there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Man. Anyway, That's awesome. That's moms, an awesome memory. Moms, yeah. Cheers. Anyway, cheers to that. But uh, but next week we'll be talking about Runaway. Yeah. But in the meantime, Merry Christmas, Sam. Merry Christmas, Dennis. All right. Let's leap out of here. Leap out of here. <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. Yes.